Should all acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should all acquaintance be forgot and the days of old days? Godforsaken, nosy, good for nothing. Well, that's certainly a way to be greeted. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness, Mr. Fogg. Mr. Chambers. Ah, I didn't realize anyone was out here. Not anyone. Me. Yes, well, I didn't realize that either. If you'd like me to vacate, I'm afraid you're out of luck. An empty balcony is valuable real estate at a party like this. Not empty anymore. (laughs) No. Right, so I'll just... Are you... Are you hiding from someone? Only it's not like you to remove yourself from the festivities. How on earth would you know? We haven't been at the same party for... Ten years? Has it really been ten years? Nearly. It would have been the fair, wouldn't it? Goodness, I suppose that's true. Longer even since we were both here. That's right. What was it? 88? 89? I believe it was technically 90 by the time we actually spoke. New Year's Day, 1890. There's that steel trap memory of yours. My recollection is clouded by the hangovers and all hangovers. Well, that's precisely why I remember the year so exactly. (laughs) I don't think I've ever started a year in such rough shape. It's half the reason I haven't come to one of Hayward's New Year's Eve shindigs since. What brings you to this one? Well, I've only just arrived back in New York. What better way to get reacquainted with society than party that everyone is at. You're not going to be doing much reacquainting out here with me. I needed some fresh air. No snowstorm to keep you from getting a cab this time. You could get fresh air at your own home. Recollection not so clouded after all, it seems. I'm staying at Astor House at the moment, as it happens. Hardly home. League's better, I'd imagine. Where on earth have you been the last ten years before staying there? Europe, mostly. Touring. Some lecturing as well. Lecturing? What on earth about? The finer details of illusion and technology, and, increasingly, spiritualism. It whipped up quite the frenzy there. (laughs) Here, too. I find the whole business fairly fascinating, but I cannot fathom what you would have to say about it. Well, the history and philosophy of it is quite intertwined with the history of magic. It's not such a far leap. It is for a man as incredulous as you. I don't need to believe in something to speak on it. Or practice it. Oh, Mr. Fogg. Will we never stop having this disagreement? The magic we do and the magic of psychics and mediums are animals of a different stripe. Our audiences know they're being tricked. That's the point. What if it isn't a trick? What do you mean? Forget it. I'm... Well, it's it's one in the morning on New Year's Eve. I'm drunk. New Year's Day, technically. <laughs> well, I never took you for a maudlin drunk. Excuse me. I would have expected you to become more jovial the more you imbibe, not be inclined to get the morbs. I do become more jovial, usually. New Year's Eve is just a particularly beloved holiday. Really? Why? 
How have you been the past 10 years, Mr. Chambers? Off in Europe, garnering immense success, it seems. But how have you been faring? Physically? Psychologically? <laughs> what kind of question is that? In the last decade of gallivanting on the continent, raking in the dollars, did you once stop to think about how my life was going here in America? Mr. Fogg, I, I think I'm safe to assume that the answer to that is a resounding no. Which is perplexing and more than a little insulting, considering you obliterated my career and then left on the next ship out of New York Harbor. I beg your pardon? Don't behave as if this surprises you. I imagine this is the exact conversation you've been running from for ten years. I, I truly do not know what you're speaking of. I've been in Europe because it was about time I did Europe. Because you'd already successfully toured all through North America. That was certainly part of it. And what was the rest of it? Fleeing the scene of the crime, perhaps? The scene of the... <laughs> Fog, what are you talking about? The world's fair chambers, that's what. Oh, don't go blaming me for your sloppy showmanship. Sloppy. You would not <laughs> oh, have been humiliated oh. the way you were if you had simply listened to me. Humiliated? My God, that's a strong way of putting it. Is that not exactly your complaint? My complaint is that you sabotaged my illusion and made me look a fool in front of all of Chicago. Sabotaged? Is that what you've been thinking all this time, that I sabotaged you? How else would you account for the act failing? The act failed because it was a foolish, risky, and entirely absurd notion to begin with. An absurd notion we carried off quite successfully for- I didn't sabotage you. What would I have to gain? You know as well as I that magic is not an art that allows for more than one star at any given time. It was my show, Fog. One that you agreed to participate in, I might remind you. I made a bet. A bad bet? Yes, a bad bet. You won, the fair wasn't in New York. And, and you had to be my apprentice for the fair. Those were the terms. I held up my end of the bargain. You most certainly did not. And you speak of it as if there was an end of the bargain that was mine. It wasn't a deal. It was a bet. One that you lost. With dignity and much sportsmanship. You barely acted as an apprentice, as evidenced by your insistence that we perform one of your perilous escapology routines. You were as eager to do it as I was. W what greater example of your ability to control an audience than distracting from a man in mortal danger? You're fortunate I wasn't distracted from your feats, otherwise you'd very likely be dead. I'm curious. When people ask about the illusion, what do you tell them? How do you describe what took place? You assume people ask about it. They didn't hear of it in Europe. It's all anyone talked to me about for years. People were more interested in the illusions I was currently performing for them, not past acts they'd heard about through rumor or hearsay. <laughs> and Lord knows Charles Chambers would never stoop to the art of escapologists again. It didn't go particularly well the first time. Are you telling me that you've continued to perform such tricks? Of course I have. I had to prove that I could, didn't I? How do you describe it to people when they ask? I'm sure I'm the villain of the whole piece. Every story needs a villain. And a hero, which I imagine you slot yourself into quite nicely. Of course. I'm the brave and beleaguered magician who is always overlooked in favor of the classic but less substantive illusionist. When I'm given the opportunity to perform at the Great Columbian Exposition, I can hardly say no. It could be the moment I've been waiting for, when the public finally starts to see me as the incredible artist I am. Mm, but you're foiled by the less substantive magician. Not before he presents himself as an ally. You see, this magician considered me something of a mentee. What with my 
considerably younger age. You are exactly five weeks younger than me. And in his encouraging tutelage, he gives me the honor of choosing what our closing illusion will be. More like I was browbeaten into it, but that's... And he had already been planning a trick of electricity. A bit of, of fad, if you ask me. Not truly inventive. You seemed plenty excited about it when you discovered you could make it even more dangerous. But this magician was certain the audience would be wowed by lightning coming out of his fingertips. They would have been if they... But not nearly as odd as if that electricity were being sent into a pool of water. And that pool of water was beneath a man in chains. And that man in chains was being slowly lowered toward the pool and his certain death should he be unable to escape. That is truly inventive. Inventive and needlessly treacherous. This is what I proposed to the older magician. Five weeks. And this was decided to be the grand finale of our act, a bombastic, thrillingly dangerous duet of feats, so intricate and bold the audience, though they know they are being fooled, will never be able to deduce exactly how. That's because too much of it wasn't an illusion. It's easy to mask the architecture of an illusion when the feats you're performing are real. That's exactly what makes it a great trick. That's exactly what makes it not a trick at all. But the audience doesn't know that. All the audience knows is that they're watching two great illusionists perform something they've never seen before, something they could have never conceived of. Hmm. You think I'm a great illusionist? What? That's not... I, I'm not done with my story, Mr. Chambers. By all means, continue. And the death-defying stunt went off without a hitch when the magicians performed it in rehearsals and then soared to new heights when they began their public displays. It was all that anyone could talk about from the fair. Each performance more amazing than the last for the number of times it had already been performed with perfection. Even the older stuffy stuck in his way. just complimenting me a moment ago and... Even he seemed galvanized by the project. And then a fateful day in September arrived. The state was set, as it always was. The fresh audience enraptured throughout the entire performance, the exactitude of the older magician's art, elevated by the imagination of the younger. <laughs> elevated? Yes, elevated. It felt as if the whole theater was elevated, floating up into the heavens, lifted by the gasps of the crowd, propelled by the collective wonder. The whole room held their breath as the older magician explained what was about to take place, as the brave young illusionist was wrapped in chains and tied to the rope that would lower him toward the water, nervous titters went through the audience, horrified murmurings, as they all wondered if they were about to watch a man die. And did they? A simple question with a very complicated answer. The illusion began, the lightning shooting out from the magician's palms and into the pool of water as his apprentice struggled against his restraints, getting lower and lower. The electricity crackling over the surface of the water that was mere feet below. It was then that both magicians started to sense that something was wrong. The chains were not coming loose in the way they were supposed to, the bound man being lowered far too quickly, the electricity more powerful than it ever had been. That is when the older magician started to panic. And nothing can ruin an illusion quite like panic. Seems to me he had a good reason for panicking. The escapologist would have gotten free. 
He just needed another moment. He didn't have another moment. But the senior decided for them both, rushing to stop the electricity and shattering the illusion. Despite what you may think of my ability to control an audience's attention, I don't think anyone was paying me any mind at that point, not with you still chained up and hurtling towards certain death. No, they weren't paying attention to you at all, which meant that I'm the one who seemed incompetent. How? Hush! I'm almost finished. The illusion was shattered, and while there are plenty of magic enjoyers who like to learn the trick behind the trick, that was not the intent here. And even though the magician's command of lightning stopped, he did it so swiftly and so adeptly, no one registered that he was flipping off a mechanical switch, not ceasing a spell. If anything, the abrupt end to the hands of Thor made them seem that much more real, as if the magician truly did hold lightning in his hands. And then suddenly the chains were real too. The people who had paid for a ticket to be fooled with skill were all at once uncertain they were being fooled at all. Which was exactly the point I was trying to make to you. And as the apprentice who had failed to free himself hit the water, he appeared by all accounts to be so incompetent as to die by his own trick. When the older magician rushed forward and dragged his unconscious body from the pool, he became the hero of the story, bravely saving the man who couldn't keep up with his trick, because the apprentice was alive. Jolted, yes, but alive. Alive and of sound mind and body. Sound enough to know when his equipment had been tampered with. What? That's the end of it. I always think it's good to leave people in suspense, encourage them to hound me with questions that I will be sufficiently, intriguingly vague about. No, no, no. I... <laughs> Your equipment wasn't tampered with. One of the chain links got... Got bent. I know. I remember the excuses. That's as clear as a sign of tampering as you can get. Or a clear sign that the manager of the theater and his goons don't know how to be delicate with other people's things. And who exactly would have been tampering with the trick anyway? You can't be serious. Me? Who had better reason and easier opportunities than you? Opportunities, I'll grant you. There's no denying that. But what earthly reason would I have? Sharing your position as the top illusionist in America. Now Europe, it seems. Crowd the competition out of the field. What you're accusing me of is not the sabotage of a competitor. It's tantamount to attempted murder. Mm, It is, isn't it? John, you can't really think that I... I don't know what to think. All I know is that I woke up feeling as though I'd stuck my fingers directly into Tesla's contraption and I no longer had the respect of anyone in our industry. I don't think it was the hapless fumbling you remember it being. It was... The audience was frightened. There was no room for judgment of the performance, not when it was unclear whether you were alive. You tell the story as if it were a thrilling mystery novel, but that wasn't the truth of it at all. And how would you tell it, I wonder? Well, if I were pressed to talk about it, I suppose I'd say that we were endeavoring to do a risky trick and something went wrong. They sometimes do in our business, and while never pleasant, these mishaps rarely have dire consequences. But in this instance, given the already precarious circumstances of the illusion... The dangers of error or failure were much higher. I'd say we were both lucky to have walked away relatively unscathed. 
Not quite as exciting as my retelling, is it? No, I suppose not. I might also say that it was the most terrified I'd ever been in a performance. I used to get horrible stage anxiety right before starting a show. My hands would tingle and go numb. My stomach would churn. It, it always seemed as if my heart were beating far faster than it was supposed to. As I did more and more shows, got better and better at my craft, those feelings went away. The stage became a, a domain in which I felt I had control. And then the World's Fair. You build suspense well in your storytelling, Mr. Fogg, but in my memory there was no suspense at all. It all happened too quickly for there to be anticipation of disaster. As many times as I've replayed those moments in my head, I'm, I'm never able to recall it with perfect clarity. It went by too quickly for me to register the details. I certainly didn't switch off the Tesla coil in time for it to seem studied or in time to save you. There was no calculated choice, just hurried instinct. The only thing I truly remember is being scared. I wasn't scared. Well, I suppose that's not entirely correct. I was scared of the real danger. I was scared of not being able to escape, of ruining the trick. You care so little for your own life? That isn't it at all. I care a great deal. I value my life more than anything, and I have much, much more of it to live, but I don't know that I thought I'd really die if I hit that water. Even with all your worrying as we were building and then performing the illusion night after night, I never took it seriously. Yes, I know. I thought you were being overdramatic. I was not. Yes. Well, I know. I spoke to a friend of mine a few weeks after, a doctor I know. He said that you almost certainly would have died if I had not grabbed your arm the moment I did. You pulled me from the jaws of death, is that it? More than I put my own body in between its teeth. It went through me as well, and in doing so, left your body before it could do the damage it was capable of. Are you asking for my gratitude? No, I'm not so naive as to believe I'm going to receive that. But I do think you owe me the courtesy of not accusing me of attempted murder when I put my own life at risk to save yours. Making yourself a gallant hero in the process. You have to be one of the most cynical men I've ever met. Which is quite the feat considering you're also the most prone to flights of fancy. I'm teasing. Mostly. I don't actually think you were trying to kill me in a dramatic public act. It wouldn't be your style. If you were to get rid of competition, you wouldn't do it on a stage. I imagine you'd invite the man over for a drink and then poison his scotch. You're probably right. Whereas you would most certainly make a spectacle of murder if you ever chose to undertake it. I imagine I would. I suppose there's victory in getting you to admit I didn't intentionally sabotage you, but I'm not sure I can count it as such if you're still angry with me. Who said that I'm angry with you? You did. Or as good as, considering all the grievances you've slung at me. Or is it just the late hour and the drink in your hand that drove those words? It is the late hour and the drink in my hand that allows me to admit I'm angry with myself, not you, and that I'm mostly resentful of your success. 
An honest drunk, then. How refreshing. And you appear to be a stoic drunk, which is so very different from your usual demeanor. I'm not drunk at all. I haven't had the opportunity, really. I only got here just before midnight. Mm. Other fabulous parties to show your face at, I suppose. The opposite, in fact. I spent most of the evening in my room at the Aster, staring at the door in apprehension and ultimately deciding that I didn't want to hear the clock chime twelve alone. So you lowered your standards to come to Hayward's? It was hardly that. This was the only invitation I received. But I've been gone for so long, haven't seen many of these people in years, and I wasn't sure. Well, there's a reason I came out on the balcony looking for some peace and quiet. I'm sorry you didn't find it. I'm not. Despite a vague desire to reintegrate myself into New York society, not sure I have the first idea how to socialize with these people. But you do know how to socialize with me. I believe I do. Or at the very least, I don't worry about it so much. I'm flattered that you put so much thought into our interactions. Oh, come now. I don't mean it like that. I know you better than most here, largely because of the period we worked together, but I also know you have an enormous amount of disdain for me. Or, as you put it, resentment. And that makes conversation easier, does it? It makes it simpler, in some ways, yes. So many of these people speak in riddles. The delicate obfuscation of polite society. They ask pointed questions, but with the edges sanded down, and I never... Well, while I may be in the business of dissembling on stage, I don't prefer it in my social exchanges. You rarely hide what you think of me, Mr. Fogg. As I said, refreshing. For someone who doesn't like prevaricating, you're awfully good at it. I may speak plainly with you, but I'm not certain you return the favor. No? Maybe I'm not immediately forthcoming, but you can ask me anything. I'll answer. How have you been? Really? Since 93? I'm not sure what you mean. See, there you go. Evading. I'm not evading. I'm genuinely perplexed. I told you how I've been. I've been in Europe mostly, enjoying a degree of success, traveling to beautiful places, and now I'm back and not particularly skilled at resettling in the life I have here. If this is about what you asked earlier, if I ever thought of you and what your life might be like, the truth of the matter is I did. I worried for you, John, that you would continue to try dangerous stunts and kill yourself more completely in an act so I... I followed the news of your career as well as I could. Not that there was much news to follow. You may not have had the kind of meteoric rise that you were hoping for, but as far as I can tell, you've made a decent trade in the smaller theaters. And then when that Houdini fellow came along and started doing his escapes, you pivoted well. You're very good at adapting to circumstance, to feeling the areas of magic that are otherwise neglected. And being relegated to leisure demand and base levitation is exactly what I hope to be doing. There is always going to be desire for sleight of hand. Dexterity never fails to astound when performed well, and I'm sure you perform it well. So yes, I did think of your career, and by my estimation, you've been doing just fine. As well as, if not better, than you were doing before the fair. Smaller scale illusions in smaller theaters, maybe, but there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, easy for the man playing the largest venues in the world to say. Does that answer your question satisfactorily? 
it answers a question. But you still haven't told me how you truly have been feeling. You ask the question as if there's some deeper significance I'm meant to know. Because there is. I wasn't certain there would be, but when I saw you across the room earlier in, in the light of the parlor, I... I realized... You realized what? Do you really not see it? I don't know what I'm meant to see. Look at me. Really. Look. Examine me closely. Why would I do that? Don't you see what I see? Don't you recognize the phenomenon that's been staring back at you from the mirror every day for ten years? What? You don't look a day older than you did when I last saw you, Mr. Chambers. I know the European air is supposed to be grand, but I don't think it can account for this. I'm not sure what you're saying. Look at me! I may have my moments of vanity, but it isn't vanity that looks at my reflection. The, the reflection of a man nearing 40 and sees a spry 29-year-old looking back. You do look well. As do you. 39 and looking hardly 30. I still don't see what you... Come now, Charles! I know you pride yourself a skeptic, but you can't ignore the evidence in front of you. Evidence of what? Something happened to us. I'm not sure what it is, but it's been ten years since we performed The Hands of Thor and The Great Escape, and I feel just as I did the day we stepped onto that stage. You think... <laughs> you think that our magic trick, what, made us young? I, I, I don't know. All I know is that I felt different since that day, and each year I expect to look different. And I don't. You don't. An honest drunk and a delusional one. You're delusional if you think there's nothing strange about the way you've aged, or rather haven't these past ten years. No, I'm not delusional, and I'm also not inebriated enough for this conversation, so I think it's best we end it. Charles! I'm sorry the trick went wrong, John. I truly am. But you need to move on. Happy New Year, Mr. Fogg. Happy damn New Year. Atypical Artist presents New Year's Day by Lauren Chippen, starring Andrew Nowak and Brigham Snow. For more information and to receive monthly missives, please visit atypicalartist.co slash New Year's Day. Thank you for listening and Happy New Year.
Oh, 